copy of God's Word, you can slip your hand up, and Chad will be glad to give you one. You can take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. One of the benefits, I say that in air quotes, of us having the power issue we had this morning is I've got to use this. As opposed to the lapel mic I normally wear, and I hate these things. I need my hands free to show my, like turn right, my arthritic fingers and issues to emphatically address something, I need my hands. So, uh, we're going to struggle through. It's still God's Word, and despite Randy's flaws, we will make it through. But I appreciate Stan and Steve and Chris Ellison even came out from Bartlett and and uh, so many different people. Rhiannon called me this morning about 8.30. She says, well, this week, here's our problem. So, we have power in some places, and some places we don't. It's kind of interesting how Satan, you know, when Jesus tossed or God tossed Satan out of heaven in eternity past, you know where he landed, don't you? In the sound system. That, old, that joke is older than I am, as it used to be, he landed in the choir loft. We ain't got one of those, so he landed in, if there was something that wasn't going to work this morning, it was going to be sound. But then Steve comes in and says, we also don't have air conditioning, and but he, he managed to get all that working, so... Uh, Praise your Lord, Bill, for you. <laughs> here's, what I, here's what I told you. I can come in and look at it and say, uh-oh. And then I'm going to call Steve Nance and Stan Wilson. Now, they didn't answer their phone. They're screening their calls. They knew it was me. They said, we'll call him back when we feel the time is appropriate. So, but uh, Chris, we got a hold of LG&W, and they came out and, and, and fixed it. So that was uh, quick. All right, just a couple of things I want to address. Turn to the book of Acts, and we will talk about that in just a moment. A couple of things I do want to address, and then we will get into God's Word for today. Number one, this Saturday is Help Day coming up, this uh, Saturday the 16th. And obviously, uh, like last month, we had over 400 families, and this being November, it will probably be an uh, even larger number. So we really, if you can be there Saturday uh, if you want to come at 8 and help set up, that'd be great. If you want to come at 10 and, and be a basket pusher and hand out food or help upstairs with the clothes, you know, there's a lot to do. So that's from about 10 to noon. It's a real hectic time, and then at noon, start tearing down. So if you can come early at 8 or you want to come a little later and help tear down, set up or tear down, regardless. But we need uh, just need bodies to help, particularly from 10 to noon. That is this coming Saturday, the 16th. Here's what you really need to do. This is extremely important, so take notes and write this down. On the 25th of this month, which is two weeks from tomorrow, we're going to come in here and decorate our auditorium for Christmas. And, again, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just drag the stuff out and say, here it is. And then BG tells us what to do with it. So uh, two weeks from tomorrow, about 6.30, that Monday night, you want to come and have a good time with us as we try to – erect our Christmas tree. It's always uh, interesting to see if it's going to stand this year, and uh, we've had it for many years, and it's so far it's surviving. So do the, all of this, and we will get it done. 
two other things that we get into God's Word. We have our meals today as you leave. Be, uh, Lawrence brought the meals from Bartlett. They're at the exit as you leave. You'll see a white cooler. You take one, two, ten of those meals, whatever you'd like to take, and just give to someone uh, that needs someone. Maybe you just see them out on the street corner. Just give it to them in, in the name of the Lord. But those are at the exit as you're leaving today. And finally, I mentioned it last week. I want to mention it again in case some of you weren't here. If you've got a child or a friend of a child, we've got a, a, a bunch of our, our kids are in uh, Gatlinburg. It's like 50 of them in Gatlinburg this weekend suffering for Jesus. And uh, so... A number of them have already done this, but if you if you want your young person to play basketball, uh, that uh, I'm kind of handling that right now. So I need to know the forms are right there by my palatial office as you're leaving the building. If you want your child to play basketball, uh, get them signed up uh, from about age five to sixteen. That's kind of what we're looking at, and then we can I'm get with the people this week and see if we've got leagues that kind of thing. So I just need to know if you want your child to play basketball. All right. Let's turn to the book of Acts. Believe it or not, I hold in my hand, those of you old enough to remember the Johnny Carson show, I hold in my hand the final envelope and the crowd would go crazy. So I hold in my hand, when he was doing Karnak, you can Google that and think, what is he talking about? I have here on the podium and in my Bible, this is our last study in the book of Acts in this series. Don't, don't applaud. Told you last week, January would be in two years. We've been studying the book of Acts. It's been uh, powerful in my own personal life, and I hope the Lord used it in yours. And Marcus and I talk about it every week. We get together and just kind of where we are. And our goal is to finish the book of Acts in November, and we're going to do that. So as we go through this last section in the book of Acts, you'll notice the top of your handout. I didn't look at your handout, so I'm hoping this is what it says. Does it say the Great Commission continues? Does it say that? All right, good. So we're, you notice underneath the book of Acts ends, but the Great Commission doesn't end. The book of Acts ends, and I believe intentionally by the Holy Spirit, God doesn't just do things haphazardly. I believe the book of Acts ends open-ended, like with an ellipsis. I think I mentioned this last week. The church is an ellipsis. You can look that word up when you get a chance. No one probably never been called an ellipsis before. That the church continues. The book of Acts is the history of the beginning of the church, the early church. We are in the church age now. We will be in the, since the day of Pentecost, we will be in the church age until Jesus comes back, also called in Scripture, last days. So that's us. Jesus said about his church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we are attacked from from every side. There's all kinds of issues. Uh, Satan is always at work trying to defeat God's church. But the exciting thing about being a Christian, part of the body of Christ, being a member of the church universal, a, a child of God, a Christian, is that we've already won. We know our eternal destiny. We know Jesus came, the gospel. He came. He died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, ever lived to make intercession on our behalf, and we fight, as the old bumper sticker from the 70s said, we fight from victory, not to victory. We are in Christ, born again, children of God, eternally his. I am God's child. And so the exciting thing for us is to understand the book of Acts ends the Great Commission continues. You notice for two years we've been looking at this. 
Jesus taught us to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he said, last thing he said before he left the planet, go and make disciples. I am with you always. So I want to start today, I want you to put your hand out in chapter 25. We'll get there in a moment. I want you to flip back to chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. We're not going to go back over all this, just relax. One verse in Acts chapter 9, and then we're going to be in Acts chapter 25. So as we come to the end of the book of Acts, Paul is fulfilling his commission on his life that given to him personally by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus when he was miraculously saved, and then he said to him, now I'm going to have a special call on your life to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And we've seen and we've walked through how all of that fleshed itself out in the book of Acts and historically. So I want you to see chapter 9, verse 15. This is the record, the first recording of Paul's conversion. And Jesus has told him to go seek out this guy named Ananias. And notice what Jesus says to him, to Ananias. 9.15. The Lord said to Ananias, Go. For he, Saul of Tarsus, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Now, you got to understand who Saul of Tarsus was. We've talked about it many, many times. He was the number one enemy of the church. He was the persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee. He was on the Sanhedrin. His call in life was to persecute, imprison, have killed anybody who was a follower of the way or Jesus of Nazareth. That was his life's work, and he was really good at it. And then he was miraculously saved on the road to Damascus, and Jesus said, I want you to go find this guy, Ananias. And Jesus goes to Ananias, appears to him, and says, Now, Saul of Tarsus is coming to you, and I want you to accept him into the church. I got stuff for him to do. Now, had you been Ananias, your response would have been, No, who? Did you say, I know you're, you're Lord, the Lord and everything, but did you say Saul of Tarsus? I thought, you want to check that ID again? That, that can't be right. Jesus said, no, you trust me. He is my chosen vessel, quote, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And we've seen how God used the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, to become the leader of the church. Now go to chapter 25. Chapter 25. So as we come to the end, we're going to see Paul making his defense of who he is for the fourth time. What we're seeing here is the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy about him. He's going to go before governors. We saw him last week before Felix. Today we're going to see him before Festus. Next week, two weeks, we're going to see him before Agrippa, the king. Bear my name before kings. Gentiles, and the children of Israel, the Jews. So his Jewish enemies, as all of this has been going on, Jesus' Jewish enemies have been after him. Paul's Jewish enemies have been after him over and over and over again, trying to stop him, kill him, do anything they can to end his witness. 
So now they're trying to use Rome, just like they did with Jesus, to arrest Paul on false charges. He ends up being a prisoner for the next several years. As we end up, we talked about this last week, that at Jerusalem, then at Caesarea, and ultimately he's going to end up, as the book of Acts ends, with the ellipsis, he's going to end up as a prisoner under house arrest at Rome, thinking this is it. I don't know. But, wait. but here's the encouraging thing for us. And that's why the book of Acts is so important to study as a book of history. This is the history of how Jesus established and grew his church in that first century. And every time and every place Paul went, it was hard, difficult life-threatening, almost killed on several occasions, alone, left for years, not understanding why. There's so much that we've talked about, and I know in my personal life, to, to, to be reminded of on a regular basis as you study Acts. And here it is. Jesus said, this is my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Does it mean it's going to be easy? Absolutely not. It will be difficult. Remember, we studied a month or so ago, and Paul knew he was going to Jerusalem, and here's what he said. I don't know what awaits me, but the Holy Spirit has told me two things await me. You remember what they were? Tribulation and chains. Well, we don't mean health and wealth. Tribulation... And chains, join the church, and you get tribulation and chains. That's not going to be our new slogan. Join the church, you'll get persecuted, and we'll chain you up. Now, how many people are going to sign up for that? Not too many with a brain. Here's what Paul said. I can't wait to go. I want to be at Jerusalem at Pentecost. I want to be there. I want to be there at Passover. If I can't make Passover, I want to be there at Pentecost. If I can't be there at Pentecost, I just want to get there. And I want to get to Rome because I want to share, if possible, even with the emperor. I want to share the gospel. If I got to go through chains, okay. If I got to go through tribulation, okay. As a matter of fact, I know I'm going to because God himself, the Holy Spirit, has told me this is what awaits you. And he doesn't hesitate. And we see times he gets down, but he perseveres. You ever get down? I know I do. You ever feel you're persecuted? I know I do. It's, it's incredible. Just get along with God. Just read Scripture back to God. Pray it back to God. It's a great way to pray. Just pick a psalm or a proverb and pray it back to the Lord. Or something that you're studying, saying, Lord, I, I see here that Randy needs to change this to be everything you want me to be. It's not going to be the way I want it to. Paul would have just gotten on a vessel, sailed to Rome, started, had a revival, and that's the way he would have done it. But God said, no, I got other plans because I need you to talk to Felix, governor of Judea. I need you to talk to Festus, Felix's successor as governor of Judea. And by the way, I need you to talk to King Agrippa and his wife. Then I need you to get to Rome ultimately 
And we don't know for sure, but I believe at some point he faced Nero. And it didn't matter whether it was Felix, Festus, Bernice, Drusilla, Agrippa, or Nero. Paul had one message, the gospel. The gospel. If you're going to imprison me, fine. If you're going to beat me, fine. Claudius, Lysias, everyone, if you're going to, that's fine. Do what you got to do. But let me tell you about Jesus. Let me share the gospel with you. Because it will change your life. Let me tell you what happened to me on the road to Damascus. It's recorded four times in the book of Acts. It's real important. Let me tell you about it. Because it changed me. We're going to see it again. That's where we are. Faithful, tired, diligent. But he just doesn't give up. He's always confident about the gospel. Hated, persecuted, everywhere he went. And at times it just seemed like he was the only one. But he didn't give up. This one reminiscent thought, and then we're going to look at Festus. His appearance before Festus. For a moment, put yourself in the sandals of Jesus Christ. The last week of his life. Palm Sunday. Hosanna, the name of the Lord. Praise as you ride in triumphantly. By the end of the week, even your best friends are, have deserted you. Your sound, they can't stay awake while you're sweating blood because you're about to die for their sins. You're all alone. You hang on the cross and you cry out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, the message of entire Scripture is, God loved you so much, he sent Jesus. That's how much he loved you. That's why Paul was excited about the gospel. He understood the persecution part because he led it. And then after he was redeemed, he understood the persecution as it came to him was part of the territory. He writes about it a lot. Even as he's in Rome, he writes four epistles about that, among other things. Four incredible books in our New Testament. While he was at Rome, chained up. Calls himself an ambassador in chains. And the message to us, there's so many messages, but the one that I really want you to take away from this is this. It's all about the gospel. No matter the persecution, no matter the mocking, no matter the rejection in a loving, compassionate way, gently and respectfully, even with those who disagree. Agrippa didn't agree, and Festus didn't agree, and Felix didn't agree, and the Sanhedrin sure didn't agree. Paul just kept telling them, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Let me tell you about him in a loving, respectful, gentle way, because it's the only thing. Paul himself said it to Timothy. I've run my race. I've finished my fight. Now as I leave, you preach the gospel. Be ready. Be ready. In season, out of season. Do the work of an evangelist and let no one despise your youth or your old age. 
If you're breathing, you're alive. The Lord wants you sharing the gospel. Paul never gave up. Now, let's look at it before Festus, Acts 25. This is the fourth time, Acts 25. This is the fourth time that Paul, that Paul has had to give a defense for himself against false charges by the Jews. They're following him around to persecute him. Wherever he goes, they just follow him. This time, again, it's the Romans. Festus was the new governor of Judea, took Felix's place. Felix was replaced by Nero because he couldn't handle the Jews. So Nero said, okay, you're out. This guy's in. Been about two years since all this began. Now it's Festus's turn. Now history tells us Josephus, the Jewish historian, talking about Festus, he was almost the exact opposite of Felix. Festus was a good man who tried to do what was right. He was very efficient in his job. He only lasted about a year in this particular job, and then he died. But he was very much a novice when it came to politics. Felix was a seasoned, corrupt, greedy politician. Festus was just a guy who'd been given the job who was trying to do it the right way. Kind of elected like a a freshman in Congress, and you get up to Washington, and you're like, what is this cesspool they've dumped me in? That's where Festus was. He was new, and he didn't understand politics. But he was very much a breath of fresh air from Felix. So let's look at 25, verse 1. So when Festus had come to the province, again, this is a, he's going to Caesarea. After three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. He's new on the job, so he's going to go to Jerusalem. Remember, now he's Roman, but he's ruling Judea, which is Jewish. So he wants to go to Jerusalem the center of Judaism, and just kind of say, hey, I'm here. Uh, how can, you know, kind of like a town hall meeting. Let's talk. I want to I be your governor. I want to be somebody you, it's accessible. I want you to know kind of a meet and greet. All right. So the high priest in Jerusalem, the Jewish high priest, and the chief men of the Jews, this would be people probably off the Sanhedrin, informed him against Paul. And they petitioned him, asking a favor against Paul, that he would summon Paul to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill Paul. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and he himself was going there shortly. So Festus, again, is going to Jerusalem to greet them. So he's confronted with the same dilemma that Felix had. And by the way, as you read this, did the Jewish people want the the Sanhedrin and the, the high priest and these Jewish guys, did they, did they want Paul to come to Jerusalem so he could have a fair trial? Clearly, what's, what's going to happen? On the road from Caesarea to Jerusalem, what's going to happen to Paul? If you notice on your handout, they're going to assassinate him. They just want Festus to get him from Caesarea to Jerusalem so somewhere along the way they can kill him. They don't plan to give him a fair trial, which, by the way, Paul knows. So Festus here is going to be confronted with the same dilemma. Paul is a Roman prisoner, not a Jewish one. He has been, he is not guilty of any crime. We saw this with Felix. Festus knows that. This has been two years. So Paul is a Roman prisoner, but with no guilt on him. He's also a Jew. And Festus ruling these Jews who are the leaders, they want Paul dead. But he can't release Paul set him free even though he's not guilty. And the reason he can't set him free 
Same reason Felix didn't. Festus is learning. If I set him free, these Jews are going to revolt. And if the Jews revolt, what's Nero going to do? Come, you're out, just like Felix was. So he's got this dilemma. So now they're trying to use Festus so they can initiate their plan to murder Paul. So he comes up with a brilliant compromise. Look at verse 5. Therefore Festus said, Let those who have authority among you go down with me, the Jews, and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. In other words, I'm not going to bring him to Jerusalem. Why don't you boys go with me to Caesarea and let's have a trial down there. So let's see the accusations. Verse 6. When he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. Just a little side note. It's kind of cool if, if you want to know for your Bible's sake. The phrase there, judgment seat, is all, in Greek is called the Bema seat, B-E-M-A. And uh, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the Bema seat. That's where Christians will be judged for their works in, before Jesus. It's called the Bema seat judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. That's a little something you can impress your friends with at your next small group meeting. Say, by the way, do you know what the Bema CD is? And Bema CD is, and they're going to go, no, but mine hurts sometimes. It's another something. All right. That wasn't funny, but it was. All right, verse 7. When he had come, the Jews who had come down to Jerusalem stood, stood about, and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So we're not going to go back and, and uh, re-exegete all of this stuff and, and re, re go over it. Basically, it's the same thing. Same results. They've got serious complaints, quote, which, quote, they could not prove. So Festus in verse 9 switches to politician mode and he says, I need to do these Jews a favor. So I'll just ask Paul to agree to a trial before me at Jerusalem. And by the way, Roman law, because Paul was a Roman citizen, he could not change the venue and just say, Paul, we're going to Jerusalem without the consent of the accused. He had to ask Paul, are you willing to do this? And Paul's answer is he simply appeals to Caesar, verse 10. Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, the beam of seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you very well know. I have, for if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there's nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, that's his council, not the Sanhedrin, answered, you've appealed to Caesar? To Caesar, you shall go, exclamation point. He didn't know what to do. So Paul simply says, I'm a Roman citizen, and I've not done anything wrong. I haven't broke, we've already been off this with Felix. I've not broken anything in the Jewish law. I didn't do anything wrong. I've not broken the Roman law. I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. You know what's cool about this? It's fascinating. It just shows you how wicked the human heart is. Paul is saying, I'd rather be on trial before Nero than these clowns. Because I know, I know what these Jews, the high priest and the Sanhedrin, I know what they're going to do. What are they going to do? 
They're going to kill me, and whatever, whatever they got to do, they're going to put me to death. I'd rather stand before Nero as a Roman citizen. Now, in fairness to Nero, hard to, I don't know if those two go together, but in fairness to Nero, at this point in history, he had not become the cruel, vicious, crazed maniac that he would become shortly. In just a few years, he's going to set Rome on fire and blame it on the Christians. He hasn't yet crossed that line. Paul says, I just appeal to Caesar. So Festus says, you want to go to Caesar? Okay, I'll send you to Caesar. Because Paul knows Jews only have one plan for me, and that's to kill me. I'm better off with Nero. So again, before Felix, not guilty, I don't know what to do with him. I'm just going to leave him here. It would be Festus's problem for two years. Festus comes in. Here are the Jews again. They're back. Same thing. He's not guilty. I don't know what to do. He wants to go to Caesar. I'll send him to Caesar. All right? Chapter 26. Now Paul is going to go before the king, Agrippa. All right? Who in the world is Agrippa? Well, Agrippa is the last king of what's known as the Herods. Here at Christmas, we'll talk about Herod the Great. Agrippa is the last of the Herods. Well, who were the Herods? They were kings over the Jews, but they were not Jews by blood. They were Edomites. They were descendants of Esau. Jacob was Israel. Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. Edomites were descendants of Esau. They weren't Jews by blood. They were Jews by religion. Remember King Herod? Again, we study him at, at Christmas. He was a Herod. Agrippa is the last of the Herods. So at this point in time, right now, chapter 26, Herod is the tetrarch or the ruler of Galilee. He would, he would have the authority to appoint the high priest at Jerusalem. Uh, he would administer the temple. Uh, Agrippa, Agrippa was basically a puppet of Rome. He was an expert. This will be important. He was an expert, incredibly bright, and an expert in Jewish affairs and scriptures. His sister, Bernice, was Drusilla's sister. We keep up with all of this. And he actually lived with her as his wife, committing incest. That's who Agrippa is. All right. So here we are at Acts 25. We're not going to read all of this, but he comes. So after the Festus incident, Agrippa comes to Caesarea to meet Festus and welcome him to his new job. Look at verse 21 of chapter 25. They're just talking. He said, when Paul appeared to, appeared to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, Caesar, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. And Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear Paul myself. Tomorrow you'll hear him. So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice, that's his wife slash sister, had come with great pomp, they had entered the auditorium with commanders and the prominent men of the city. At Festus' command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. So now here he is. He's before Agrippa. Here's the one thing I want you to see, so again, as we walk through this. Agrippa is the king. Festus is the governor. Felix is the governor. Paul is the prisoner. Here's what you're going to see. 
the sovereign hand of God. When all this is said and done, the one you're going to see that's a prisoner is Agrippa because he's a prisoner spiritually. Paul may have been a prisoner because he was the one that was chained, but the one that was a prisoner here is Agrippa. We're going to see as we walk through this. All right, here's what, here's what you have in Acts chapter 26. This is the longest recorded speech in the book of Acts by the Apostle Paul. His goal in his speech is not, again, he's already been before Felix. He's been before Festus. They all know he's not guilty. He's not even worried about that anymore. He said, I'm just appealing to Caesar. I'm appealing to I'm a Roman citizen. I'm not guilty of anything. His goal in this conversation with Agrippa is to lead Agrippa to faith in Jesus Christ. He's not talking about himself, even though he will talk about that. He's trying to get Agrippa, who was an expert in Jewish affairs. He knew there was a Messiah to come. He's trying to get Agrippa to understand Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. I am condemned, Paul will say, for being a good Jew. And Agrippa would understand that. So let's start there. Chapter 26, verse 1. This whole thing, by the way, of Festus bringing out Paul before Agrippa was just kind of like a game not to Paul. 26.1. Agrippa said to Paul, you're permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and he answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Just listen to what I have to say. I'm simply, ultimately, going to get to this point. Agrippa, you understand Judaism. You understand Jews. You understand the scriptures. And I'm telling you, I'm standing here condemned by these Jews repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly for simply believing in the Messiah, which was prophesied in the scriptures. I believe Jesus was that Messiah. Unashamedly, I'm being persecuted and being attacked. And now I'm a prisoner simply for being a good Jew. So he began to share his testimony. Verse 4. First thing he said, let's just read. Start verse 4. I hear, beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, Judaism, I lived a Pharisee. I now stand... And am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. That's a simply a Hebrew euphemism for the coming of the Messiah. I believe in the Messiah, and that's what I'm being condemned for. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain the coming kingdom of the Messiah. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Scripture teaches that. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did about his life in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted even to foreign cities. So here's his personal testimony. I was a Pharisee to the hilt. If you read Philippians, when he lists his resume, it's what he talks about. Hebrew of the Hebrews, strictest sect of the Pharisees. When it came to the law, blameless, I didn't sin. I was a self-righteous 
Pharisee. I was raised in the strictest sect of the Jews. I believe in the God of the Hebrews. All Jews who believe in God's word, this was a direct shot at the Sadducees, believe in the resurrection. Not only did I do all those things, I was also the persecutor of followers of Jesus of Nazareth. I followed them around from city to city, persecuting them even to the death. For example, Stephen, we studied earlier, that martyrdom, he's Saul of Tarsus, it says, was standing there with his clothes at his feet, consenting unto his death. Several times, you see, again, this is the longest speech recorded in Acts by the Apostle Paul. Sometimes I think it's important to stop and meditate on stuff. I think when he said this, it's my personal opinion, so take it for what it's worth. I believe when he said this, that he was probably thinking about Stephen. That I was one of the ones that put that tremendous young man to death. Because he believed in Jesus. And yet God chose to save me. As cruel as I was to Jesus' followers, he chose to save me. I sure hope you see the grace in that. I sure hope you see the hand of God in your own life because you're not perfect. I'm not. And yet God chose to save me and allow me to be part of what he's doing in this great church age. So Paul said, I was the persecutor. I lived a Pharisee. Secondly, not only was I a Pharisee, secondly, I saw a light. I saw a light. Verse 12. He's on his way to Damascus persecuting. While thus occupied and journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest to persecute Jesus' followers. And midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. I saw a light. The glory of God enveloped them. On his way to persecute Jesus' followers at Damascus, I met God himself at midday. And I was transformed. I was a persecutor. I lived a life of a Pharisee. I saw a light. I met God. And I heard a voice, verse 14. When we would all fall into the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, whom you are persecuting. Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of me, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people. Constantly he's being persecuted. Jesus said, I will deliver you. He does. Doesn't stop the persecution, by the way. Please don't miss that as well from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, the Romans. Open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Man, there's a lot here. Let's walk through some of it. I heard a voice speaking to me in Hebrew, Jew to Jew. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it is, it is so powerful what Jesus is saying to Saul of Tarsus. Saul, Saul, why are you 
persecuting me. Well, he didn't touch Jesus. Do you understand what Jesus is saying about those saints? When you touch one of my saints, you're touching me. When you're persecuted for your faith, Jesus takes it personally because he's your Savior. Another way to look at it is we are his bride. Keep your hands off my bride. We're special. Not because we're inherently special, because we're in Christ. We are his body. We are his bride. We are his sheep. He values us. So notice verse 18. This is basically a summary of the gospel. He said, Paul, I'm going to send you. I'm going to be with you always. It's going to be hard. You're going to be persecuted by Gentiles and Jews, and I'm going to deliver you from that. But here's the message, and it's a summary of the gospel. I'm going to send you to open eyes, from darkness to light, from Satan to God, to receive forgiveness, to receive an inheritance by faith in Jesus. That's who you are in Christ. You're translated, Peter would later write, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. From being, in Romans, owned by Satan, owned by God. Your sins are forgiven. It may be my favorite way of understanding what it means to be a Christian. My favorite word is hope. Confident expectation. But my favorite way of understanding it is what the little phrase Paul would later use in Romans. Joint heirs with Christ. You get an inheritance that's yours. It's your current possession. When you pass away, you just cash it in. You inherit everything because you are his bride. We are joint heirs with Christ. We get an inheritance described this way in Scripture, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. Any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. We are given an ambassadorship to share with people the word of reconciliation that we've experienced. That's what Paul is talking about. So you see verse 16 and 17, Jesus said, all right, Paul, here's my will for you. Here it is. You're going to be a minister for me. I want you to see that little word. It's so cool. Look at verse 16. Stand on your feet. I've appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister. You know what that word means in Greek? Such a beautiful picture. It means you're an under rower. Remember those old movies, those cheesy old movies they would make, like the Sons of Hercules and all those crazy old movies they would make? And you'd see these, these slaves in a galley, and they would be down in the very depths of it rowing to move those galleys. That's the word. You're the lowest rower on the galley, Paul. That's who you are. That's who we are. That's why if you want to understand what it means to be a Christian, the first thing you've got to understand is you're a servant of other people. A leader who's not a servant is not a leader. Jesus said, I came to do two things, to serve and to die. We die to serve. That's what it means to be a Christian. So Jesus' will for Paul. 
You're going to go from being a Pharisee. You're going to go from being on the Sanhedrin. You're going to go from being the number one persecutor slash executioner for the Jews to rowing the boat in the bottom, in the bottom of the boat, the lowest rower, serving everyone else in my name. You're going to be my witness. You're going to be my minister. You're going to be my witness. The Greek word for witness there, we get our English word martyr from it. It's going to cost you your life, ultimately, if you're going to be that for me. And then finally, you're going to be my ambassador to the Gentiles. Ambassador to the Gentiles. We talked, we joked about it earlier when he says to him, by the way, the Holy Spirit said, you're going to Jerusalem and, and let's see, you, you get, here's the only thing you, I can tell you for sure it's going to happen. You're going to be chained up and you're going to go through tribulation. Kind of like a galley slave. Huh. It's the highest call on any human being's life is to row in Jesus' boat. Row it. Wherever you want me to go, Lord, whatever you want me to do. So Paul sums it up, verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, I declared first to those in Damascus, where it happened, on that road in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turning to turn to God and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying, No other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ, or Messiah, would suffer. He would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Everything he mentions there is from the Old Testament. That this is what the Jews were anticipating. The promised seed all the way back in the Garden of Eden when, when the Lord spoke to Satan and said, the seed of the woman is coming to crush your head. Jesus is that seed. He is that Messiah. He, so as a good Jew, of course I believe it. Agrippa, and so should you as an Edomite. His summary, I wasn't disobedient. I love this. You're walking down Highway 70, and suddenly the glory of God envelops you, and God says, I tell you, I want you to do something. What are you probably going to say? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. But he persevered. The glory of God enveloped him. You read the story closely, all of them saw the light. Who's the only one God spoke to? Saul of Tarsus. I got a job for you to do. Now you go do it. Well, he sums it up. For that, I wasn't disobedient. And by the way, if you study faith in Scripture, always, inexorably, Faith is followed exactly what he talks about here by works of obedience. You obey, you trust, then you obey. You you do like Paul, you repent, give your life to Christ, and then say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then you go do it. Not to earn your way in, but because you've already been given that inheritance. You're born again. You're a child of God. I was not disobedient. I became a follower of Jesus. I became what a Jew is supposed to be. I followed the Messiah. I obeyed the Messiah. 
I am wholeheartedly, what he's saying to Agrippa is this, I am wholeheartedly with my entire being committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ because I believe he's the Messiah. And for that, I told the Jews, I told everybody that they should repent and turn to God. For that, this, that's my crime. I'm guilty of that. That's why they've persecuted me for years. That's why I stand before you today to share. I believe this. Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Isaiah 53, everything he talks about, they came right out of that. First fruits, he is from the Levitical priesthood. First fruits, he would be the first to rise. That great passage of 1 Corinthians 15, he is, but now Christ is risen, 1520, maybe the greatest verse in the Bible, but now Christ is risen and has become the first fruits of those who will rise from the dead. A Jewish reference. So he says, Agrippa, I stand before you accused of being a good Jew. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Now let's see what he says. Verse 24. As he made this defense before Agrippa, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, are you beside yourself? Let me translate that into English. Are you crazy? That's exactly what it means. Are you insane? Much learning is driving you mad. You know too much. But he said, Paul, I'm not crazy. I'm not insane, most noble Festus. But I speak the words of truth and reason. I love that verse. You ever been called a crazy Christian? Particularly when I, man, when I first got saved, I was crazy. I would talk to anybody, anywhere. I was in high school, and when Mary and I first met, she goes, I couldn't believe you'd walk up to total strangers and just talk to them. Adults. I said, well, I thought that's what you were supposed to do. And then in high school, I was back, I went to Memphis City Schools, and back then we did devotion in, in, I went to Overton High School, and we did devotions in our class every day, read the Bible and prayed. For three years, I was the only one in the room that would ever do it. So what did I do? I used it as a chance to preach every day. Beginning class, had the same homeroom teacher for three years. So every day, I'd just do a little devotion before we started class. I didn't know what I was doing, but I did it. Because I was crazy. I was a crazy Christian. Still am, as a matter of fact. What a great, I think that's a great moniker. Now, what he means is, I'm not insane. And what I, I love the way he puts it. You can call me insane if you want to, Festus. I'm simply speak, speaking the truth. And it's reasonable. It's logical. It fits the evidence. Christianity, we call that apologetics. That the evidence for a creator is overwhelming overwhelming. The evidence that God's word is true, the Bible is God's word, is overwhelming. So why would I not talk about it? Why would I not speak it? Speak the truth in love. That's all Paul is doing. He says, Festus, you could call me crazy. You can. I'm just telling you the truth in a reasonable, logical manner. So let's wrap this up. Verse 26. For the king before whom also speak freely knows these things. In other words, Agrippa knows I'm telling the truth. 
I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. He knows the truth. King Agrippa, he turns to him. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. You believe God's word. And Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am except for these chains. Here's what Agrippa's saying. You read that and you say, well, he almost won the argument. That's not what he's saying at all. Agrippa is mocking him and saying, you mean with this little speech here today, you expect me to become a Christian? Please notice Paul's response. He's being mocked again. Please notice his response. Dear God, would the God, Agrippa, that you would get it and that you would turn your life over to Christ like I have. And everybody here, the Sanhedrin and your council and all Festus and all of these people, that they would hear, that they would get it. Would to God, you can mock me, but here's the deal. I know Jesus is the Messiah. And Agrippa, you know it too. Will you give your life to him like I have? That's what I love about Paul. Whether it's Agrippa, later on, I believe Nero, he didn't care because he was an ambassador for the king of kings, not some earthly ruler. In a loving, compassionate way, he just tells them the truth. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we close out our time together today, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel, and yet the incredible depth of redemption. That Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again, the gospel. He loved us, gave himself for us, that in him we could be declared righteous. We thank you, Father, for the gospel. I pray we'd be like Paul. Persecute me, put me in chains, do whatever you want to do, But every chance I get, no matter who you are, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to share the gospel with you. Why? Because it'll set you free. You see, in this analogy we've just studied, we mentioned it earlier, the one who's really the prisoner here is Festus, Agrippa. They're the ones. They're in a prison of their own making, sin. And Paul had been set free from that prison, just like we have as Christians. I just want to share that freedom with others, how they could be set free. Use us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing, and if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll be down front.